so, you know, John, at the end of his letter, kind of gives us a little insight into how he decided what to, what to share about Jesus' life. Uh, because he says, you know, if, if I were to share everything that happened with Jesus while we were with him, I mean, the, the books of the whole world wouldn't be filled. I had to choose some different things. And so I chose to share what I did because what I want and hope for people is that they might be able to believe uh, that Jesus is the Son of God, to believe in him, and by believing in him, have eternal life. And I think John had that intention because he saw that what Jesus was maybe most concerned about during his time when he was teaching people was how to help people to understand that believing in him was kind of the central idea of what being a follower of God and being a human being really was about. Because at one point, it was after... uh after he had fed the 5,000 and a bunch of people were following him and sort of were like attracted to what Jesus was doing and, and someone asked him, okay, Jesus, like what is it, what is it to do the works of God? Like what is it that God really wants us to do? And you know, this is something probably a lot of us think about. What is the most important thing? Like how can we love people? How can we serve people? What is the best thing to do to follow God? And you know, Jesus said, you know what? The works of God is this. Just believe in the one he sent. That's it. And he was referring to himself, obviously. Just believe in Jesus. So this idea of belief and trust in Jesus is central to both of what John feels like he's doing and sharing about the life of Jesus and what Jesus was up to. And it kind of struck me as I was looking at this passage and then a few of the stories that lead up to this is that a lot of what Jesus spent his time doing was working with people who in some form or another, were expressing some trust and some faith in Jesus or wanted to do that, but were missing a bit of the central idea of what that meant. There were definitely people who, you know, approached Jesus and just rejected him. And Jesus didn't really spend very much time with those people. He's like, if you want to reject me, that's fine. You can go your way. I'm not going to worry about you. But the time he spent with people were those who had a desire and were attracted to him and were trying to engage with him but helping them to see how perhaps their first attempt or first attempts to believe in Jesus were not grasping the full picture of what was going on. <clears throat> you know, in some of those stories, I won't go into, but we looked at the last few weeks, uh, Lazarus and him rising from the dead and how Mary and Martha interacted with that. Um, John rec- recounts uh, Jesus entering Jerusalem for the last time before he was killed and people, he was saying, Hosanna, praise, you know, uh, blessings to the king of Israel. Um, talks about some Greeks who came to Jesus and Jesus talking to them about um, the fact that he was going to have to die and that following him meant, you know, giving up our life um, to save it. Uh, and then, And then right before this passage, John recounts just different reactions that people had. A lot of people didn't believe in him. Some did believe in him. Some who believed in him weren't willing to acknowledge that in front of people for a variety of reasons. So there was this big mixture. So you can tell that what's going on here is people are struggling to figure out what does it mean to believe in Jesus? How do I do that? And Jesus is going to try to help. And this story really draws that out in, in, in uh, Jesus' interaction with Peter around this, the washing of his feet. So... Um, and as you look back at those stories and this story, I think two two ways that we can often approach Jesus in trying to believe in him that miss the central point kind of come out. And then in this story, Jesus is trying to help us to see a third way. So so the, some of the two kind of main ways we often miss 
what it is to believe and trust in Jesus is, is on, on the one hand, seeing him as, okay, I want to believe in him as this sort of conquering um, king. And, you know, people at the time were waiting for the Messiah to come. And what they saw promised in the Old Testament was that he was going to come and restore Israel. So they thought, okay, we're under the oppression of the Romans. This Messiah is going to come. He's just going to defeat them by his power, by his might. You know, we sang that song this morning, Damon, not by might, not by power. People thought maybe, you know, God was going to come with might. He was going to come with power. And he was going to restore and bring everything to be good. And so... So... One approach people took was to believe in Jesus as the one with power that was going to come and set everything right by power. Um, but Jesus was like, you know, that's, that's not what it means to believe in me. Another approach that people took was, okay, maybe Jesus was this, the best of the moral teachers that were out there. And he has all the best, like, teachings. If you do this, if you do that, if we just learn the teachings and follow that, then Believing in him for that, we can become good by following those teachings. I feel like those two are often the two ways that we get caught up. But the third approach that he's trying to get us to see um, is, you know, believing in him and really believing in the Father, not as a as a tool to be used for our efforts in becoming good or accomplishing what we want, but rather as believing in him and trusting him as the one who's going to do everything for us to bring blessings into our life apart from any effort we can put into it. Um, And one of the biggest benefits from entering into belief in Jesus in this way rather than in this way is that it opens us up to fully enjoying the giving and receiving of love without condition. Because these approaches really put conditions on the way that we interact with each other and the way that we do life. And we'll see how this happens uh, and how Peter's missing out on something when he approaches it that way in this story. So just with sort of that in mind, let's see how this plays out um, in this story. And hopefully, um, one, one more quick thing. You know, Jesus not only... Um, is trying to help us to see how to believe in him, but he's also uh, the model for what a relationship with God looks like. Um, you know, he says in here, I've set you an example to be like this. Uh, and so I think the value of this story for us is, one, to see how Jesus interacted with the Father and how he's inviting us to do the same with him and the Father. And secondly, um, to see how Peter um, was engaging and trying to find that spot of what it looked like to believe and the ways that he maybe was missing the central point a little bit and how we might be doing the same. So so the context for this story, John starts out saying that it was before the Passover festival. Um, I don't want to spend too much time, but just in case you're not familiar with the Passover, it was probably the event in the history of Israel that was remembered the most. And the point at which they could look at and say, this was when God saved us. Uh, They were in Egypt for 400 years, and God wanted to bring them out of there. They were enslaved, being oppressed, wanted to bring them to the promised land. Brought the 10 plagues, if you remember. And the last of the 10 plagues was going to be the angel of death coming and killing the firstborn of every house. Uh, And it wasn't going to 
distinguish between, you know, the Egyptians or the Israelites. Everyone was under the same sentence. Uh, but God gave the Israelites a way out. He said, if you kill a lamb or kill a goat, you put the, put the blood on the door, then when the angel comes to that house to kill, he'll pass over it and not kill the firstborn inside. Hence the name Passover, right? So it was this festival on which this context, and that story really was a foreshadow of what Jesus was going to do for us when he was going to die on the cross. And this night, this meal, what's happening here is the same night that Jesus ends up being betrayed and being killed on the cross the next morning. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So Jesus knew, but the disciples didn't know, that this was the last meal he was going to eat with them. This was the last time he was going to get to spend with them. And, and what was on his mind was how much he loved them, how much he had grown to care for them. And he wanted to do something to express his love for them in this last time together. And, you know, he chose to wash their feet as his way of acting his love out for them. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. The wheels were in motion. Things were going to go downhill fast after this. And this verse 3 is very interesting. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. It's sort of a description of what drove Jesus to serve the disciples in this way, act out his love in this way. It's an interesting description. First, you know, he knew that the Father had put all things under his power. You know, it's sort of this this realization that you know Jesus had a choice. Like God had entrusted all power and all authority on earth to Jesus, and He could do with it what He wanted to do with it. So now His choice was, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to use that power to take over the world and impose what my view of what's going to be good on the world? I have the power; God's given it to me. Can, am I going to do that? Or am I going to you know, trust God that he, the way he's leading me is going to work out for his purposes and not take it into my own hands, but rather you know, let go of it and choose to serve rather than enforcing what I could with my power to make everyone else serve me? And he knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. You ever meet people, or you could think of people who, you can just tell that they feel comfortable in their skin. Um, they're the kind of people who, you meet them and you're like, you know what, this person just knows who they are, and they're like, this is me, and I don't really care what you think about that. I'm just going to be me. Those people are really refreshing, right? Um, and then you meet other kind of people where you know that they're putting on some kind of face for you. Was putting their posturing in some kind of way, you know. Jesus was the ultimate comfortable in his own skin person. 
Uh, he knew exactly where he had come from. He knew exactly where he was going. And he knew that the core identity of who he was was in his relationship with the Father. That was a relationship that didn't depend whatsoever on him you know, doing anything. But they just always existed in this perfect relationship with each other of love, of acceptance. And that that foundation allowed him to not worry about posturing, not worry about his appearance, not worrying about what other people are going to say. And it, and that, that freed him to do this thing that was kind of counter, counterintuitive, that the disciples were going to be uncomfortable with, but he was like, even though I'm your Lord and teacher, I'm going to serve you because this is how I want to love you. And I'm okay doing that uh, because I'm so kind of, just settled in my in myself, knowing who I am. And so it says that he, because this was where he was at, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And, you know, I... John doesn't give us the details of whether Simon Peter was like the first one that Jesus came to or if he was the in the middle or at the end. But if, you know, if Jesus had been washing other people's feet and he came to Simon Peter, obviously he's about to wash his feet. So his question is more of a, I think, polite way to try to, you know, resist, um, you know, resist what Jesus was trying to do. Um, and Jesus says, you know, you don't understand what I'm going to do, but you will later. And so Peter finally makes up his mind. He's like, no, I have to, I have to stop this. And you know, Peter's, Peter's the best. The other disciples were probably feeling uncomfortable too, but didn't want to say anything. Peter was the guy who, you know, he was going to say something. He says, no, you shall never wash my feet. So what was, what was going on with Peter? Why? Why did he resist so strongly Jesus wanting to wash his feet? What was it that was going on? And it reminded me of a couple other interactions that Peter had had with Jesus. I don't know if you remember the very beginning uh, when he was just getting to know Jesus and Jesus was gathering some friends around him to follow him. He'd gone, gone down uh, in the morning after Jesus, after Peter and his brother and others had come back from fishing, they'd pulled up their boats. Jesus asked to get in their boat, spend some time in the boat teaching people. And then after, after they were done, Jesus turns to Peter. He's like, why don't, you, why don't you just push out your boat into the lake, let down your nets? Peter looks at him, he's like, you know, we just spent all night fishing. We didn't catch anything. You're not a fisherman. We know what we're doing. You don't know what you're doing. Like, okay, fine, we'll do it. So he pushes out. They let the net down. Catch tons of fish. Now, as they're pulling the nets in, it just, it just hits Peter. Like, you know, load of bricks. Just realizes that Jesus is something different altogether. And his response to Jesus at that point, he says, you know what, Lord, you need to go away from me because I'm a sinful person. And I realize that you are something special. And, and, I, and I don't think you're going to want me to be around you. 
the second story that it reminds me of is when Jesus started to talk about him going to die for the first time. And Peter hears this and he's like, he, he was the one to pull, pull Jesus aside and said, hey, like, you're the Messiah. You're going to take over the world. Uh, dying is not an option here. He's like, no way, you're not going to do that. And, and Jesus is really strong with him at that point. He says, no, like you're, you're talking like Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Like this is not. I think those two interactions and this one of Peter helps to paint a picture of how Peter was looking at who Jesus was and his relationship and what he was hoping would, would happen or how he was wanting to relate to him. You know, the first one, he, he sees this dynamic. He's, he realizes that Jesus is this amazing, special person. And he, it's like, you are up here and I am down here. What I deserve is to not be around you, right? And so he's looking at it in this dynamic of if you've been a good person, if you have power, if you are up here, if you're superior in some way, then you deserve good things. You deserve to be treated well. You deserve respect. You deserve honor. You deserve to be served. But if you're a sinner and like not good, like Peter thought he was, he's like, I don't deserve anything good. You need to go away from me. I don't deserve that. And then the second one, he's looking at, you know, this picture of Jesus. He's come to believe and trust that he's going to be the one to save Israel. And he can't see how Jesus dying would be a part of that. Because he's looking at it from this, you know, power dynamic, this power. If How could you give up your life and still save us and still accomplish what God wanted? And so in this first, this first rejection, I think he's feeling that same sort of dynamic. Jesus, you're up here. Like, you are our Lord. You are our Savior. You're the one that, you know, we're supposed to be serving. And yet you're wanting to do this menial task, you know, of washing our feet. I thought it might be like uh, if you invite Steph Curry over to your house for dinner and you know he walks in and he's like, oh, you know, what can I do to help? Like, can I, can I cook some dinner for you? Um, do you need anything cleaned in your house? Um, you know, I, I know like bathrooms are my favorite thing to clean. Could I just like go and like scrub your, scrub your toilet or scrub your shower? And you're like, like, how would you feel, you know, someone who maybe you've put up here as someone you respect or I don't know, maybe you don't respect Steph Curry, but uh, whoever, whoever, whoever it might be that you, you know, have put up here comes into your house and is like, let me do the most menial job in your house. How you, you sort of be like, no, 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 it's okay. Like, let me serve you. Right, because we have this sense that pervades some of our thinking that if you have accomplished something, if you're superior in some way, you deserve to be served, not to serve. Right? But Peter, but Jesus' response, he's like, you know what? If unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. This was too much for Peter. He didn't want to pay that price. For holding on to his thinking. So then he tries a different approach. You know, I feel like he sort of sits there and thinks about it for a minute. He's like, I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to lose my relationship with Jesus. So he says, okay, 
If I can't relate to you on that basis, let me try another approach. You want to wash my feet. Okay, maybe this is sort of the new way of, you know, earning my way into relationship with you. So let me be the best receiver of your service that I could possibly be. And so he says, okay, not just my feet. You can wash my hands. You can wash my head. You can wash anything that you want. Like, I just, I I want to be able to, you know, contribute my willingness to be served. And, uh, you know, seeing Jesus as the great moral teacher leads us to this approach sometimes. And we see him saying, you know, what is good and right is to consider others better than yourselves or to take up your cross and follow me, deny yourself, these kinds of things. And so we think, okay, that's what's good and that's what's moral. Let me, how can I be the best at self-sacrifice? And then we begin to take pride in how self-sacrificing we are. I, um, you know, as a husband and as a, as a father, I feel like I fall into this approach a lot. Um, you know, I know that I, I want to be someone who looks out for the interests of others and helps and, you know, serves. And, um, but it's, when I stop and reflect, it's so easy and so often that when I'm doing something for Audrey or for Lucas or for Oliver, usually not so much with Lucas and Oliver because I know that it's probably not going to be an equal give and take. You know, Oliver's not going to be able to do for me what I do for him, right? Um, but with Audrey, it's a little bit more like, okay, we're equals, right? And so it's easier to to let have those thoughts come into my mind of, you know, is she doing as much for me as I'm doing for her? Um, and does she, you know, I don't know, for me, like washing the dishes or cleaning something or doing something at home, like, does she then owe me to do this thing or like how? And, and, and so then I'm, I'm like, and then another thought comes in like, well, it's not about, you know, being equal, right? So it's okay that if I feel like I'm doing more, that's fine. But then, but then my twisted mind goes to the place where it's like, well, if I, don't, I won't say anything, but I, in the back of my mind, I know I'm the one who's really serving more, and so like I feel, you know, justified about that. I feel good about myself, and uh, you know, I've I've probably earned some brownie points with God or something. So Peter, Peter's like, okay, how can I be the most self-sacrificing? And Jesus responds, she's like, look on the level of what's happening right now. Like, if you've had a bath, the rest of your body's clean. It's fine. I don't. I just need to clean your feet because you've been walking around in the dust, right? That is all that needs to happen. And on a spiritual level, what he's saying with that, the idea of a bath is, he's like, look, you know, my sacrifice on the cross is just, it's just going to clean you completely. You don't need another wash. You don't need to figure out how to wash yourself or clean yourself. Like, it's all going to be taken care of. It's fine. Um, there are going to be things that come up as sort of like a need and I'm going to meet those needs and people are going to meet those needs for you and you can participate in that, like the feet washing. And that's going to, that's going to be a way for you to enjoy being loved and loving other people. But it's not a matter of needing to be, you know, saved or washed clean. So, 
So the big thing that's going on here, you know, is that Jesus is wanting to express his care and love for his friends on the last night that he has with them. And he's wanting to do it by serving them, by washing their feet. And all Peter can think of is how this doesn't fit with the way that he thinks, you know, things should be going. He's like, Jesus, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing this. Or, or okay, like, yeah, let me be the best self-sacrificing person. And, and, and all of his focus is on this place where it's about who is good, who's superior, who's inferior, how should we be acting, like, how can we earn you know, things by this. And what all of this does is you realize Peter is missing the opportunity to be loved by Jesus because he's just like thinking about all these other things and how, is it right? Is it not right? Is this the way to do it? Jesus, this is not the way to do it. Like, no, I'm not okay with, like, he's just caught up in all of this because to some degree he's still stuck in this place where being loved and good things coming into your life has to be attached to being deserving in one way or another. You know, Jesus was deserving of being served because he was Lord and Savior. He was up here. Maybe Peter could help himself to feel deserving of receiving this love because he, um, you know, he was like, okay, yeah, let me, let me just be really, you know, self-sacrificing and open to this. But what Jesus was saying, what he really wanted, was just, look, like, I just want to love you. And just be willing to receive it. And we're, we're we're able to receive that kind of thing to the extent that we grab hold of this other way of believing in Jesus that he's wanting you know, he finishes, um, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. <clears throat> He's saying, if if I, you know, the person who really is, if we're going to talk about deserving, or if we're going to talk about position or superiority, he's like, look, I'm at the top. And, and we can all agree on that. But I'm not going to use that position to say, look, serve me. But I've chosen in that position to serve you so that we can enter into these kinds of interactions and relationships where we experience love and care for one another without conditions, without having to worry about, am I deserving of this? Have I earned this? Is this like right or proper? He's like, let's just, let's just throw all that out and set ourselves free to just simply express our care for each other in the way that we would like to. And he said, if, if, 
if I can do that as your Lord and teacher, then I'm inviting you to do that for each other. And, and that obviously meant that at certain times they were going to be in the position of, you know, giving and caring for other people. And then at other times they're going to be in the position of receiving care from other people. But we're in danger of missing out on experiencing that when we hold on to this way of approaching believing in Jesus or interacting with God based on deserving or earning. So I think the sort of the question you know I was left with and wanted to leave you with uh, in reflecting on this was that to take a look and in your own life and think what are places where I maybe struggle to either give or receive care or as I am in a position to give or to receive, why do I, do I hesitate in any way? Um, is it hard for me to accept care from someone or a certain kind of person? Is it difficult for me to give care without thinking whether the other person deserves it or not? And, and so, you know, when you find that those places where you experience some uncomfortableness or difficulty, um, ask yourself, what does that reveal about, um, what I'm relying on to make me feel acceptable or to make me feel worthy. Um, and and ask ask God to show you what it would look like in that situation to just rely on him um, to to give you worth and, and to bring you to that place where Jesus was, where he's like, you know what? I know I'm from God. I know I'm going back to God. Like everything's sort of like this settled firmness. And out of that, I can just freely receive care from people that want to give it and give it without condition and then and then ask for a way to sort of take a take a risk in that direction and see see what God does um, so the band can head back up as I pray <clears throat> um, there'll be people over here to pray with you uh, during the songs and afterwards if you have something on your heart that you want to you want to ask God about or just tell him or yeah something that he brought up let's pray uh, Jesus thank you for loving us just like you loved your disciples uh, thank you for not you know taking what you could have with your power but choosing to release it so that uh, we might be able to be forgiven that you chose to go the way that God the Father was leading you to the cross to pay for our sins, that we might be able to enter into these kinds of interactions with you to receive and give love unconditionally and, and also with one another, that we don't have to worry about how we appear, we don't have to worry about whether we've done enough to deserve being loved but that you've done it all for us. We're so grateful. And please let that sink into our hearts and help us to um, use that to, uh, to trust you with our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.